Good morning, church. If you have a Bible, if you would, turn with me to the book of 1 John chapter 4. We're looking at verses 7 to 21 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. It's on page 1023. As we've studied this letter, we have followed John's thoughts as they've flowed back and, afor- back and forth and around different themes. The primary themes being the true doctrine of the gospel message as God has revealed it and as the apostles have testified to it. Living in obedience to that doctrine with the primary focus of Obedience being in Christians displaying a familial love with one another out of a love for God. Our passage last week focused on testing various teachings and examining the motivations of various teachers. In other words, discerning true doctrine. Today, we have this letter's third main passage about love. This cyclical nature of John's writing about right belief and right living is not just him losing his train of thought and then finding it again. He's not even bouncing back and forth between two parallel ideas. As we will see this morning, as far as John is concerned, knowing the truth of sound doctrine And the possession of right theology must be accompanied by a deep self-sacrificial love for the church of Jesus Christ. As far as John is concerned, love for one another apart from the truths that God has revealed through his word is lacking at best and a counterfeit love at worst. Truth and love are inseparable. To remove either is to do damage to the other. Truth and love are not incidental to one another in the Christian's life. They are material parts of each other. I mentioned this is the third main passage on love. Back in 1 John 2, if you'll let your eyes go, go up there, there was how love is part of Both the Old and New Commandment, Jesus referenced Leviticus 19 in saying that we should love our neighbors as ourselves, but Jesus added to that by saying not only should you love your neighbor as yourself, but he told his disciples to love one another as I have loved you. We love out of obedience to his command. In 1 John 3, verses 14 and 16, Pastor Doug preached a couple weeks ago about how love is the evidence that we are a new creation. The evidence of us having experienced the grace of God is that we will love. This morning, John is just building and adding to both of those truths that he's already said. In 1 John 4, verses 7 to 12, he will show that our motivation to love flows from the very nature of God himself and through his work in Christ. The Apostle John has a pastor's heart and he knows that his beloved children of the faith are hearing false teaching from these antichrists as he has called them. 
They were saying that there was this secret knowledge. It was docetism, and it was if you would just if you would just find this secret knowledge, you can unlock these this power to this this higher way of living. And that false teaching had led to brokenness in relationships. People had gone out from the church. We will see this morning that 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 tension of right belief and the practice of right loving living shows that God's love has a transformative purpose. God's love and his right teaching leads to unity in the church. The church will always face the temptation of the gospel becoming familiar to us and then us reducing it to simply a set of facts and doctrines. But the gospel message is that God and what he has done is not just some philosophical, theological, mental exercise. It's not just a theological hobby that some nerds at church have. God, the triune God, is personal and he loves his people with an uncontaminated, unadulterated, effectual love that turns his people from enemies into his children. His children who then love like him. So my aim this morning is that we would experience the personal affection of God through the gospel and then as we leave this place that we would actively practice it with one another before the watching world. I'll say that again. My aim is that we would experience the personal affection of God through the gospel and then leaving this place we would actively practice that love with each other before the watching world. If you would stand with me in honor of the reading of our text this morning. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his, of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, 
so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Father, would you take your word and plant its truth in us? Shape and fashion us in your likeness. We have sung that prayer a moment ago. And as I was singing that and hearing the voices of your people singing that, I was just rejoicing that I know that this church meant those words as they sung them, but we, myself included, don't even realize what we were praying, that that through this passage, it's your good pleasure to reveal to us the love that you have for us. Thank you for that truth. Would you shape and fashion us by that truth? by that love that all of us may experience it this morning and be transformed to love one another more like you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. God has loved us and so we love. There is a clear cause and effect quality to these verses. And so for my outline, I have five cause and effects statements. Again, in true John fashion, sometimes he gets into some things. um, And you're like, where are you going with that? But I want you to notice that he starts clearly on this idea that God loves us, and so we love one another, and he ends that way. So even if we take some some side quests, it's all in this context of God loving his people with a transformative love that helps us to then love one another more like he loves. So the first statement speaks of the kind of God that we serve. Knowing God leads you to love God's people. Knowing God leads you to love God's people. Look back at verses 7 and 8. Beloved, this word has been used throughout this letter to mark transitions, like he's coming back to what he was saying earlier. But it also, this word beloved introduces the theme for this passage. Beloved, you are loved of God. This is a message for the church of Jesus Christ. This message is central to God's character because God is love. I think that's the key phrase of these first two verses. We as God's children bear the family resemblance because God is love. This is not an ontological statement about the essence of God. Um, So don't think of it in quite the same way as in Exodus 3 where 
God is saying his name to Moses. I am who I am. God is love. It's not quite the same, but it is a profound statement that describes God's character and his work, which is how we experience him. All that God does is loving. It does echo, I think, chapter 1, verse 5 of 1 John, where John says that God is light. All that God does is perfect and holy and righteous and loving. When you come to know the God who always acts in pure holiness, as you grow in your relationship with him, that love changes you. You realize that there is no second thought in his mind. There's no subtext. There's no IOUs. He loves unconditionally. He loves because he is love. And so knowing God leads you to love God's people. That's the kind of God that we serve. John goes in to write about the kind of love that God has, has loved us with. So what does that love look like specifically? Statement number two, being forgiven by God leads you to love God's people. Being forgiven by God leads you to love God's people. If you have trouble believing that all God does, he does out of love, meditate again on exactly how he has loved most clearly. Look back at verses 9 and following. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. It was revealed. It was made clear that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God has displayed his love throughout human history in various ways. But God did not become more loving at the cross. And he has not become less loving just because the cross happened 2,000 years ago. God is love. But his love is most clearly seen in the cross of Christ. This love transforms us when we realize that we have life that has been given to us. That the Son of God was given as the propitiation for our sins. Meaning that the wrath that our sin earned has been dealt with. This motivates us to love one another. Forgiven people forgive. Verse 12 seems to take a turn. It says, no one has ever seen God speaking to God's metaphysical state as God is spirit. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And you're like, John, what? Hold on, I'm trying to follow, but what, where did that come from? We were just talking about the beauty of the gospel. But there's something significant here. 
It's that this theological given that we can't see God because he's spirit has a necessary implication that his people would love one another. That, that word perfected does not speak to any sort of deficiency in God's love or in our love for one another. It's more the idea of completeness. There's a teleological aspect, that word telos, that, that's what it's saying in the Greek. There's a, com, a completeness. It's, there's a goal God loved us with that most clear, most amazing grace of Jesus on the cross, giving of himself for a purpose for his people. The New Living Translation, I think, uh, translates this helpfully. It says, brought to full expression. Being forgiven by God leads you to love God's people. We have seen this throughout Scripture from uh, people who are foreshadowing what Jesus did or looking back to what Jesus did in the wilderness. Moses prays a profound prayer at some point that when the people are sinning and God says, I'm just going to wipe out this people and start over with you, Moses. Moses says, don't do that, Lord. Would that I was blotted out of your book for the sake of your people. Paul says something similar in Romans. Would that I was blotted out of the Lord's book so that my brothers might, might come to know Christ. Being loved by the God who loves through the gospel of Jesus Christ changes a person to love with that same self-sacrificial love. This looks different to the watching world. This is what makes the church of Jesus Christ look different. Jesus gives a teaching about how any, any person can be friends with their friends. That's, that's normal in the world as image bearers. People have the capacity to love one another. What makes the church different is that we love in a self-giving way. We take initiative. We step towards one another, even when it's at our expense. Being forgiven by God leads you to love God's people, but we know that we are still, we have a, a sin nature that dwells in us until we reach glorification. We have the Holy Spirit, but we also struggle. And so I think the next couple points uh, this is one of those times where it seems like John's departing for a bit, but hang with me because remember, it's all coming back to God's love transforming his people to love one another. So this third phrase, I want to look at verses 13 to 16 and see that the Holy Spirit teaches you about God. And so what's implied is that, again, the more we know God truly, the more we will love his people. But the Holy Spirit teaches you about God. Look at verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. Throughout this letter, when John has referenced the Holy Spirit, there is a connection to the Spirit's work of helping to teach us that right doctrine. 
I think this phrase could be a little confusing at first. By this we know that we abide in him, that we have the Holy Spirit. Is the this referring to what we just talked about with God's people loving one another? I think it could also be pointing to what he's about to talk about in, uh, or sorry, I think it could be what he's talking about right in that sentence where it's the presence of the Holy Spirit himself brings assurance. I think both of those things are true in certain aspects. But I want to take the way that John has spoken of the Holy Spirit throughout this letter and see that there is a reality that the Holy Spirit teaches us that right doctrine. And his presence is what helps us know God truly as he has revealed himself. And so that's where John goes immediately in the next phrase. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Back in 1 John 2, 27, it says, By the anointing that you received from him, sorry, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, similar language, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you, Remember, anointing through the Bible is so often connected to the Spirit of God. As his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as he has taught you, abide in him. The end of John, 1 John 3, verse 24, going into the beginning of chapter 4. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Again, we have the spirit, and one of the spirit's main functions in our walk with the Lord is to help teach us correct doctrine as he has revealed it through his word. And so as we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. Pastor Dan uh, mentioned last week what I think is so helpful that I think is true here about this word confesses. This is not just a statement of truth, but it is a statement of truth and love. Remember, take one away from the other and you've lost something. It is not just a confession that, oh, Jesus is the Son of God. It's a confession that Jesus is the Son of God. And that he was given for us as a propitiation for our sins. We still have indwelling sin until we go to glory or Christ returns. And so that is where the Holy Spirit helps us see the Holy Spirit's presence itself as God's personal affection for you, Christian. He is helping you to love one another. He loves his church more than you do. But as we walk with his help, we grow in that love and in that affection for our brothers and sisters. Next, looking at verses 17 to 19. Cause and effect, loving like Jesus makes you long for Jesus. Loving like Jesus makes you long for Jesus. Look at verse 17. By this love, by this is love perfected with us, 
so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. This phrase, by this is love perfected with us, is carrying over from the previous verses. That he is with us, perfecting this love, continuing the process. There's a goal in mind. He is shaping us to look perfectly like Christ. But in the meantime, he is shaping us day by day to love like him more faithfully. And as we love with the, G with the love that Jesus has for his people, we will grow more and more confident in our eternal security and long for that day more and more. Jesus' followers are literally loving in the same pattern after him. His love, his self-sacrificial love, again, is most clearly found within the church. The more you experience the heart of Christ, the more confidence you will have in your eternal security. It becomes a virtuous cycle. Finally, he brings it home when verses 20 and 21, cause and effect, loving God leads us to love each other. He loved us and now we love each other. If you say that you have a friendship with me and you act all buddy-buddy with me, but if you treat my wife poorly, I have a problem with our relationship. God loves his people. The Father sent his Son to be the propitiation for the sins of his people. The Son is a faithful bridegroom who laid down his life for his bride, his people. The Spirit has taken up residence in the heart of every Christian, praying with our spirits, helping us grow in holiness. God loves his people. It is a total contradiction to say that you love God but hate his people. You are a liar if you say that. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is an argument from the lesser to the greater. Again, John brings back this truth that, yes, God is spirit, and so outside of the incarnate Christ and other moments in time through redemptive history, we have not seen God with our eyes. But the way that his love for his people is seen with our eyes today is when you look with your eyes at the church, the embodied body of Christ today. Our last passage that talked about love in 1 John 3, Pastor Doug preached on that a couple weeks ago. I think that was so helpful for us to see that there are all kinds of ways an unloving heart can manifest itself in a sinful person. Sometimes it is, ex is, as, is as extreme as murder, 
but it could also be as subtle as indifference. And so I don't want this word hate. John often is using light, dark, love, hate. He's using the extremes of two poles to point out a truth. If the Holy Spirit is using this passage to convict you, I don't want you to let yourself off the hook to say, well, I don't hate anyone. That's a strong word. But perhaps sometimes we look at our church family with indifference. A lack of love. Our church family, our fellow brothers and sisters, are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If we love God, you're looking at someone indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We ought to love one another. Have you experienced the personal affection that God has for you through the gospel? And do, do you long to practice it with each other before the watching world? Church, your God saw you in your fallen state, rebellious, thinking that you know better than God, desiring what he has not given you, unable to do anything about the state of your soul, no more able to perfect yourself than a corpse is able to stand up and wash its face and comb its hair. But he did not see you and look away in disgust. He did not continue seeing you simply as his enemy who has earned his wrath. He did not leave you to your own devices. The one Holy triune God looked upon you with compassion. He has eternally enjoyed perfect, uncontaminated, undiluted love within himself in the Trinity. And in that love, he chose to set his affections on you. The Father sent his one and only Son, the Messiah, the Anointed One, to live a righteous life for you to die a punitive death for you. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Think of the ways that God describes his people. The church is one body, Romans 12, 5. We are brothers and sisters in Matthew 12, 50. We are knit together in love in Colossians 2, 2. We are fellow workers and soldiers in Philippians 2, 25. Paul calls his friend Onesimus his very heart in Philemon verse 12. Paul likens his affection for the believers in Thessalonica to that of a nursing mother taking care of her children in 1 Thessalonians 2.7. When we as Christians, little Christs, 
are seen sharing resources, living communally, bearing one another's burdens, forgiving one another, expressing love toward each other physically. Earlier this summer, I preached one of the five passages in the New Testament that exhorts the church to greet one another with a holy kiss. This love testifies of a truth, a truth that the world needs to hear and see. He loved first. He did not wait for us to make the first move. Ours must also be an initiating love. He loved those who hated him. We cannot excuse ourselves from love because people are difficult. If the sinless God can love sinful people, then sinful people can surely love other sinful people. He loved those that were different than he. No human will ever be more different from us than we are from God. Our love must not be limited to those who are like us. His love accomplished what was best for us, even though it was not what we wanted at the time. His love continued when it was inconvenient. His love perseveres even though we wrong and offend him. He loved at extreme cost. His love found concrete expression, not merely vague feelings, but real action. May we experience the personal affection of God through the gospel and actively practice this love with one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you that your love does not leave us to try to understand who you are or how we should obey you. But you have spoken clearly to us. Even your speaking to us is an expression of your love. They go hand in hand. Father, I know that there are going to be all kinds of different kinds of application for different people here. I pray that there may be some who may not yet know you, but have heard what your word has for your people and that they would be attracted to that, that they would be convicted of their sin, of their lack of love for you, and that they would confess that and turn in repentance and place a saving faith in you for what you have done. Would you be so kind to hear my prayer now to save sinners here this morning? For those who are a part of your church, we're coming from all kinds of different places and providentially different abilities to participate in the life of the church at different levels, but Father, may we not do, take the easy way out of simply looking at our involvement, but may we have hearts that 
beat with your heartbeat for one another. May we step toward the church and be vulnerable with one another, even if it's messy and uncomfortable. May we be authentic with one another. May we be so invested in one another's lives that your Holy Spirit working in us each individually would collectively transform your church to be that bride that we see in Revelation who has washed her robes and and is ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Lord, get us there. Take us to that day by your grace. I ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.